Welcome to the Hemp Empowerment Project. We are your hosts, Anthony and Nicole Lucido. Our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life. Today we have with us Roger Ford. He's the president of Eureka Energy Corporation and a founding partner of the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. Over the last 10 years, Robert Roger has been involved in research and development of hemp as an energy feedstock. So, Roger, the late Kentucky Governor Louis Nunn discussed the potential for hemp with with you back in the late 90s. How did his passion for this crop influence you to devote your time to the industry? Uh, Well, you know, I used to be one of those that I didn't know much about uh, the hemp plant beyond it looked a lot like marijuana. It smelled a lot like marijuana. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, Governor Nunn was governor of the state of Kentucky the year I was born, actually, uh, back in 1967. Um, And he, at that time, was term limited, but he was a fairly, uh, I I would say, a a visionary uh, in terms of what he he saw in the future. And I became good friends with him through the years, uh, you know, as I I grew up and uh, through politics uh, and he and I talked many times about the potential of hemp. There's actually a, a good interview on YouTube. If you look for Louis Nunn, N-U-N-N, uh, hemp, uh, he, he gave an interview about its potential. And so starting in the early 90s, he, he and I started having the conversation about the potential for hemp and the combat. He told me a lot about the history and all that kind of thing. And so uh, I brought him as a guest uh, uh, to our local rotary cover here in Pible back in the uh, late late 90s, uh, maybe early 2000s. And he he brought uh, just a variety of products that could be made from hemp. I'm, I'm talking automotive composites, all the, all the things that we all know that are potential for uh, this this plant. And uh, and so he, he kind of made a disciple of me in the in the advocacy for that and and from from that point forward i i became very interested in what we could potentially what we could potentially do uh and and do so economically uh and efficiently uh, with hemp uh, to produce products and of course we went through in kentucky here the tobacco buyout right the tobacco settlement Mm -hmm. uh with big tobacco and it left a lot of our tobacco farmers uh uh, without a cash crop uh, that that they could depend on, and when I say a cash crop, I'm I'm talking more along the lines of tobacco versus say corn or soybean. I mean they're all cash crops, but tobacco was very profitable per acre uh, for the farmer. Uh, I know a lot of people personally, small farms that had tobacco allotments, and they would grow, and basically that money sent their kids to college. Uh, it helped them save for retirement. It was a second income for lots of people, people that were, say, teachers or small business people. They would have a certain amount of tobacco. So they were left with a loss in revenue. Now, although there was a settlement and there was a distribution of that money, obviously going forward in the future, there's not been a crop like tobacco that is readily uh, replicative of what the profit would be for tobacco, but I think hemp is that crop. Uh, we just have to figure out how we go forward. Now in Kentucky, 
we were one of the first uh, in the in the country to uh, to legalize the research uh, growing for uh, hemp. However, um, there's been a lot of focus on the use of it for extract for mm-hmm. oil, and obviously we know all about there's bad actors and good actors in that space. But Absolutely. it left it left a lot of farmers here in a financial bind because we had several companies that came in and encouraged the product, you know, the growing and production of uh, CBD extract, right. And the oil, but yet they would walk away and disappear on the farmer. So the farmer would have invested in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then would have no buyer for his, for his commodity at the end. So I've seen kind of the good, the bad and the ugly uh, of the, of that whole thing. Uh, my company personally, we started out uh, not with Eureka, but with uh, another bioenergy company, Patriot Bioenergy, and we looked at the potential for hemp as an energy input. And thinking of uh, thinking of pellets, thinking of uh, tor- torrified or or prioritized biomass, meaning that pr- producing a biochar and how that might blend with coal to reduce uh, emissions such as sulfur in in the coal. And it performs very well in that capacity. So that led us to organize uh, a new company, Eureka Energy. And so I have some partners in that endeavor. And what we're looking to do is commercialize uh, the production and conversion of, of biomass to biogas or renewable natural gas, as we would call it, RNG, uh, which is a, a great emerging market. So we would first gasify the biomass and then produce the gas and convert that gas then at a facility that would produce either a bio-crude, bio-diesel, or a bio-jet fuel. Um, and there is a market for that. Uh, yeah. And so that's what we're working on right now. And so my my role in Eureka is to deploy these uh, facilities around in rural parts of the country uh, to produce the gas and then move the gas through transmission lines that, that are already present uh, and bring that gas to a larger facility, which we would then convert to uh, to a crude oil or a fuel product. So now, Roger, you know, you, you mentioned how the farmers kind of got sold this bill of goods where... Uh, you know, for producing for CBD, how are the farmers kind of, uh, what's our outlook for the future of hemp? Are some of them a little reluctant now uh, to move Very forward? Reluctant. Yeah. Very reluctant. I mean, you can imagine, right? You yeah. can right. imagine there's, there's some, <laughs> there's, <laughs> you know, farmers by and large are very conservative, meaning they're very risk averse, right? They're, right. they're, they're, they're and, and as they should be, right? I mean, you know, they're, they're, uh, there's a, a backbone. They're part of the the, the spine of the country, and that yeah. you know, obviously they they have a lot of burden on them. They have to grow in advance, and then hope that they get paid on the back end of something, you know. And right now, we don't have crop really. Uh, we do have some crop insurance, but it's not like what you would imagine with any other crop, right? If something happens, mm-hmm. if there's a natural disaster. Uh, banks maybe be are unwilling to do business with a farmer who grows hemp. Uh, you know, you still have some of that 
Uh, I mean, you know, so there's lots of risk. And then you get on top of that uh, some bad actors potentially that come in and say, well, I will give you a contract and I'm going to buy all your, all your biomass for CBD product, which never happens. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're, and they're in a family farm there, there has went and spent, you know, 50, 7,500, $200,000. And I've seen some family farms go bankrupt. Oh, that's so sad. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible, yeah. and 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 that's just you know that hurts the whole the whole potential of this, uh, not just for the farmer, but for companies like ours. When you have these 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 processors and 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 end users uh, making all these wild promises to a farmer, and then not delivering because farmers talk to other farmers, and yeah. so you end up you end up with you know problems now. I think the the CBD market is going to continue to adjust itself. Uh, there's obviously an oversupply, uh, but for the farmer, there has to be some certainty. There has to be a, a level of comfort and a and a reduced risk that they can see and understand. And so that's what led uh, me and my partners to organize the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, which is based out of Jackson, Mississippi. And we want to create for the farmer an organization that helps them with best practices, best, you know, right, how do you grow it? What's the best way to grow? What's the best seed? Uh, A lot of that sort of thing, but also provide them a upfront uh, contract that the that the co-op would have that would buy their hemp that would process either decorticated and 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 process their hemp for fiber or process their hemp for whatever else and while we're not advocating for the growing of cbd varieties of hemp uh, we want the farmer to focus what what we think is a more stable long-term play where we're producing hemp for energy, mainly, obviously, that's my interest, but also for uh, composites, for mm-hmm. plastics, for textiles, they, these, these things that are very tangible. So it's not a, you know, uh, a space where we're promoting or we're not discouraging that's up to the individual farmer. We we want the farmer growing for an industrial use of yep. some sort. So right. So Roger, when you're when you are farming for energy, what part of the plant are we using? You're using the stalk. You're using the 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 whole the whole plant. You're you right. You're using from from the top to the bottom. Okay. The stalk of the plant. The whole the whole the whole thing. The fiber. The right. The herd. But the whole the whole plant. So now, are you are you able to go back to those farms that maybe grew last year or two years ago, and they've got tons of biomass? Are you able to use that for energy? Yes, and that's a, that's an to me is an advantage of hemp over other types of biomass. Yeah, um, is that as long as you keep it in a in a dry you know environment, uh, right? You can bale it up, shred it up, bundle it up, and you can store it, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I know several farms that have tons and tons of bio, you know, of the biomass that they build up. Um, and 
I think that's an advantage for us because you know we would we would be looking for that um, uh, with the farmer. But uh-huh. what we're what what we're thinking about in terms of uh, how this works is going in and saying a radius of let's just say seventy five miles right around a facility that would gasify or process that hemp right, and then be able to move that through a pipeline somewhere else in the country. You know, there's buyers mm-hmm. in California and places out west for uh, the renewable natural gas. That's a big market right now. It's it's bringing a really good price. Uh, and so we're looking at first bringing it to a gaseous form and then being able to convert that either to uh, power, green power, or a green energy like a biodiesel or a bio, you know, jet fuel or something like that. So that's our that's our hope. Uh, and, and that's what we intend on doing. And we are partnering with the National Hemp Co-op, obviously, to go and work with the farmer. That's that's the role of the co-op, right, yeah. is to work with the farmer, is to provide them assistance in, in, in their farming and their agronomy and all those things, but also giving them a good price on the, uh, you know, on their crop, which that would be us. We would buy that as a company uh, and pay that back to the farmer directly. And then the co-op, we would look to have as a partner. So the co-op is going to be an invested entity in these, in these energy projects. And we're going to pay the farmer a dividend. I mean, the yeah. farmer is going to be a part of the nice. equation. So he's going to earn a, a dividend or she is going to earn a dividend on the back end uh, of this, and then we're going to help them obviously with uh, wealth management. So we we want to help the farmer both grow and prosper long term, and that's the idea is that we would provide them some assistance in managing and investing that money so they grow their wealth for their family, for their children, um, and and it it's kind of a whole a holistic approach to to it, and I think that's important given kind of how the industry has developed in some ways to this point uh, is to have an advocate for the farmer there that looks out for the farmer's interest. And that's what we're hoping to do with the cooperative is have that, that as an entity that, that, that does that very thing. Now is a cooperative fully operational now, or is it still kind yes, of, in we, the, okay. We're, it's still in the, it's still in the, in the formation stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have members. We, we are accepting new members. Um, we, we're kind of quite hot focused right now on that, uh, Alabama, Arkansas, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi territory. That's, that's kind of where we're focused right now because we think that's the best place to grow by, grow hemp for biomass, right? In large quantities. Now, why, why those areas for... Well, it's a, a longer growing season, okay. and 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 they're already growing, you know, crops like cotton okay. uh, there uh, for uh, textiles and and those sorts of things. So there's 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 the potential there, we believe, uh, to grow non CBD varieties of hemp mm-hmm. for uh, for this very thing because it's not necessarily about the uh, quality of the material you know of the biomass it's about the bulk of the biomass right so we want to get as much per acre and the way you do that you have a longer growing season 
Mm-hmm. And that's not to say we're not. Obviously, our goal is to be in all 50 states and six or seven U.S. territories. Uh, and and those dynamics would change depending on what part of the country you're in, right, mm-hmm. as to what, what product you're going to get at the end of that. But for us right now, the focus is on the southeast, the deep south, and growing for uh, an input for bioenergy. That's exciting. Now, have, are you guys able to start processing this for the for the bioenergy, or is this still an investment that needs to be made? This is a, this is an ongoing investment. We are doing some testing uh, on the conversion of the uh, hemp material, and we do have hemp material that we're that we're in the middle of the testing uh, for uh, its potential as a carbonized product meaning converting that from a, you know obviously a raw raw plant material to a, to a carbon uh, pellet or carbon briquette we we are doing that uh, running some tests on that and testing that potential and we're also uh, looking at the uh, the yield of, of gas the methane that comes off the plant mm-hmm. uh, so we are doing that so that is an investment that's ongoing and that is something that we're hoping maybe as early as late 2021 mm-hmm. that we can uh, uh, launch a facility that, that does that very thing Yeah, I know. commercially. Could, could you only imagine if we've actually been using hemp for the last 80 or 90 years where we would, <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation today. <laughs> Not at all. No. Not at all. No, no. Interesting times. So now can anybody join into the cooperative or is that for the farmers? Well, we have two categories. We have the farmer uh, member, and then we have a, and they would be issued a common, let's say a common stock uh, type type of share of stock in the cooperative. They would be voting members. Now, we will have a preferred stock or an inve- more of an investment grade stock uh, that we would issue to a preferred investor, say, so the guy, so the person or the entity is not interested in really growing hemp, right? They're not in the true sense a farmer. They're maybe a processor, or maybe they're just an investor that likes the, you know, the the opportunity uh, presented by the cooperative and what we're doing. Uh, the uh, the uh, the idea would be is that we would uh, offer them uh, a a an option for that. So while there is uh, a voting member which is a farmer, uh, we have the uh, opportunity for people to directly invest in the co-op in its projects that it will be undertaking. You know so. Yeah, well, it sounds like really two things. really important work that you're doing trying to help these farmers get another cash crop that they're not afraid to to make that in, initial investment in. And I think that that having a cooperative helps bring certainty to that, right? I mean, that's the that's our initial idea was that forming a cooperative and bringing in members helps bring certainty and strengthen numbers and being able to negotiate volume discounts on on inputs such as seed and equipment and fertilize and all that kind of thing right and it functions much like any farm farmers co-op does uh, and so but then the idea is, is that we have to have offtake agreements and we, we we're developing that with eureka 
and with some other uh, entities that, that we're talking to. So, uh, and I think that's, that's the benefit of the co-op. If you're a member of the co-op and you want to grow hemp, we're going to help you do that. We're going to get you a fair price for, for your crop at the end. Right. And then we're going to help you. And then we're going to help you make sure that your uh, wealth is invested properly and reinvested uh, to grow, to grow your prosperity. And I think that's the, that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. That caveat really, really does make a lot of sense to keep that farmer around, keep him, uh, you know, managing his money properly. So that way he can either buy more land or, or stay in business. That's it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, not just a break even proposition. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, what kind of, um, how, how are you guys going to approach some of these farmers that may have been burned or, or don't really know the possibility of hemp? Well, we, we actually have a partner. I have a partner, Max Howell, and his, his, uh, his day every day uh, is recruiting new members. So nice. if there's anybody out there that's a farmer, and especially the ones that have been taken advantage of, let's say, yeah. and you're, you still want to kind of look at the hemp industry and, the, and making money by growing hemp on your farm, I would suggest that they reach out to us through our, through our website and, uh, uh, and, and Max will give you a call and, uh, and, uh, he can explain all that in detail. Um, uh, I mean, I think that is, uh, the easiest way for a farmer to do that. And I mean, he does a lot of personal one-on-one, uh, on phone and, via video chat and, and even in person with people in several states. I spoke to him yesterday and he had been on the phone with some folks in Illinois and, and, uh, out West and Colorado and some other places. So, uh, we're, we're actively, you know, looking to recruit new members. So if you're a farmer and you're interested in what we're doing or want to know more about that, reach out to us and, uh, and we'll have Max give you a call, and and he can walk you through the whole the whole program. Oh, that's so awesome! I'll, I'll just be so excited whenever I meet some farmers from anywhere uh, near Mississippi or Alabama or Arkansas, and I can say, "Hey, <coughs> hey, l- listen to this podcast. I've got the guy for you." Yeah. yeah, and and I would encourage y'all. You know, I'd encourage y'all to to to, to make a Mississippi stop. Mississippi is kind of unique uh, in in what's going on in the country here. And that it has no uh, state licensing requirement. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a first. <laughs> it, that's a first, right? It is, uh, you know, I was talking, well, we were talking yesterday, and apparently the state of Georgia is, it's several thousand dollars, I mean, to grow or process to get a license. And almost crazy. The point that it is so expensive in Georgia, uh, I, I think they don't want, they don't want to be in the hemp business in Georgia. It's so expensive. And wow. you're finding that these licenses, the cost is greater in states. Now, the state of Mississippi, I'll tell you right now, and I'm in Kentucky, but the state of Mississippi is the free market for, mm. for, for a grower or, and or processor because uh, it requires no state-level li- licensure. There is no state-level regulation. All that you have must comply with is the federal uh regulations that's that's what you have to do so if you're in the state of mississippi and you contact uh 
the state ag office, state ag office is going to tell you, refer you, well, you've got to get that license from the USDA. And I think it's like a hundred dollars. Wow. That's it. And you can grow and or process in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. Watch some pretty awesome things come out of the state of Mississippi. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is a, and the whole the whole big picture of the of the United States right now, I think Mississippi has some potential because of that that lack of regulation mm-hmm. uh, to 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 jump to the forefront, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of what's going on in the hemp world. Um, I want to I want to go back to talking about the the biofuels and the energy. You know, I, I'm not so educated on all the different parts of energy and things that are all the inputs. Can you, I mean, the biomass can we use for cars and what different types of energy um, usages can we get from hemp? Well, you can, uh, you can go several routes. I mean, obviously, uh, I think processing the fiber, uh, you know, decortication, you're still left with that with that woody stalky material after the decortication and that gives you two opportunities to, to make money, right? So you can sell the fiber and the fiber could be used for automotive composites or just, mm-hmm. you know, any, anything like that. Right. And then we would take that second, second stream of, of material and that would be the gasification. And so we would produce a, a, a biogas or a synthesis gas through our, through one of our processes, Eureka Wood, and uh, create a what we call or what is called renewable natural gas. So it is just basically natural gas derived from a renewable source, which would be a biomass. Um, so, okay. okay, so that gas then uh, obviously uh, has value. Now you mm-hmm. can use that use that gas in power generation. You could use that gas in several other ways, or you can convert that gas as we would to a liquid transportation fuel, which would be considered uh, also renewable fuel. Right. So it's a biodiesel. It's a bio crude. It's a you know it can be refined. It can be blended uh, readily with petroleum product and refined into gasoline or other other you know, other products. So, um, that's, that's the one thing. So you really have really a two, two, uh, components to that. You can either generate electricity or you can compress it and, and as a gas and run it through like you would natural gas engines uh, and vehicles as a compressed gas or a liquid, a liquid, uh, liquefied gas, uh, or you convert that back to a, to a catalyst to liquid, you know, or a liquid fuel product, crude or jet fuel, diesel, or whatever, you know, whatever you would need there. Now you've been researching Um, this for a while. So have, how, how successful are you in creating new energy with the, this new source? Uh, it, it's, it's proven out. I mean, there's Uh companies already doing this. Okay. Um, yeah, around the country. So, uh, our hope is uh, to create a network of gasification facilities across multiple states, and that's what we're doing right now, and then gathering that gas, aggregating that at a facility or a set of facilities, and refining that gas into uh, fuel uh, and or 
uh, actually electricity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, so that's, that, that's awesome. Cause I think we, every day we, we really take for granted the energy that we use I and mean, we consume, we just go to the gas pump and we, we pull the handle, we plug in our, our hair dryer or computer to charge. And this is a pretty huge market um, energy. Yeah. And, you know, and what's going on in the consumption of energy is only increasing for ourselves mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. So, so one of the factors uh, that I see in uh, the cost of energy going up is the fact that we have increasing demand, but because of, I think, of government regulation, mainly, uh, and other factors, you have uh, this push to reduce uh, fossil fuel, uh, whether that be coal or gas, and we really don't have a good alternative. Right. I mean, it's great to have solar and wind and all and hydro and all this other stuff, but we have to have a certain amount of baseload power, and that right now is either fossil fuel or nuclear power. And we are rapidly taking coal-fired generation off the grid, and uh, we don't have a reliable baseload component to you know that comes in. Now, natural gas is a uh, is a substitute, right? For that, it, it is we're seeing a lot of the coal-fired generation converted to natural gas. And I think that's a transition, but. Mm-hmm. I think our baseload power, meaning on demand, so we don't have enrolling blackouts and brownouts and those types of things. It's a resiliency right. in the power uh, generation is we must have dependable on-demand baseload power uh, first and foremost. We don't want to be a third-world country where we have constant rolling blackouts and outages and these types of things. Mm-hmm. Because that not only... Uh, obviously, is not good for you know for people to have that. It also degrades your infrastructure to have this right. You need a good constant flow of electricity so that your infrastructure it, it doesn't doesn't degrade uh, from the surges and up and down of, of the power. So uh, having biomass and, and renewable gas as part of this will help strengthen that base load as we transition from coal-fired generation or whatever, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it would be great if we could figure out how we continue to maintain the base load with fossil fuels, uh, you know, until we get to that jumping-off point uh, where it's 100% clean and green, right? Mm -hmm. But we're we're not quite there yet, so we need need to bring additional resources to play uh, to help with this base load uh, transition so we ensure that our country generally doesn't uh, have uh, problems with its power grid because we're we're only increasing the the consumption of electricity with electric cars and 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 all these other uses right i mean it's only going to drive up that base load demand which is going to end up driving your cost uh, per kilowatt higher right uh and that's and that's hard on uh, you know working families to have that Right to have that uh, problem, and it adds cost to your to your economic engine, also because business has to pass that cost along to consumers mm-hmm. in some way. So uh, we we need to try to keep those rates as stable and as low as possible. Uh, and I think that uh, 
bioenergy can help with with that uh, going forward. Yeah, it's, it's a con- it's really a conservation and a conversion instead of waste streams of municipal waste or whatever we're we're recycling this material and and creating energy from it, which we should have been doing years ago, but we've not. Yep. Yeah. Well, like you said, our our consumption of energy is increasing, and that's not just here in the United States, but across the world. And it's really awesome to see the potential of hemp, not only to give us energy, but to also give us um, you know cleaner soil, cleaner air. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a great phytoremediator, right? That's one mm-hmm. thing we don't talk a lot about with uh, with with hemp is its phytoremediation properties. I mean, even nuclear waste cleanup, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's just you know they <laughs> they used it in Chernobyl. They used it at yeah, Chernobyl. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, it's a great phytoremediator. It helps you isolate heavy metals and even radioactive waste in soil and uh, impurities in the air. And you're able to isolate that in the plant, and you're able to uh, by by that able to manage the the, the destruction and processing of uh, harmful things, right? Yep. Um, yeah. So it's great. It's great for those those sorts of things. Hemp, hemp is a great uh, environmental cleanup tool for brownfields and those those sorts of things. Now, are you seeing any of these um, green energy? head individuals starting to pay more attention to hemp as a biofuel to assist with this? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think, I think there is a a focus on that. I think there is a growing interest in that. I'm I'm seeing more and more research done, uh, seeing more and more uh, investment done. So I think we're at the right place at the right time to, for this uh, jumping off point for investment to come in and, uh, look at a, a serious build out of, of bioenergy around hemp as a key component of that because it's such a versatile plan. I mean, you can obviously add value, at least I see in two ways. If you have a, a fiber variety, right, you could decorticate, take the fiber, which would be about 20 or 30 percent uh, per acre yield, and then take the other 70 or 80 percent and uh, convert that to a, a bioenergy product. Wow. Right, and use the fiber for some other industrial use or textile or whatever. Yep. Uh, so, I, yeah, that's kind of how I see see this uh, going, is that we would decorticate, sell the fiber on behalf of the farmer, and then take the rest of that, that, that stream. I, I hesitate to say waste stream because it's not really waste, but is to take that herd material and convert that through our process to a to a, a energy product. Uh, and then that obviously adds tremendous value for, uh, for our company. And then also actually for the farmer as well, cause they're going to share in that, in that endeavor by being a member of the cooperative. Uh, so that's, that creates that supply chain for the company and it creates a stable certain, uh, situation for the farmer at the end of the day. Yep. So there's there's many reasons for somebody to be passionate about this hemp. You know, the energy, the phytoremediation, you know, this renewable energy. So if somebody was wanting to get into the hemp business, kind of, you know, starting a business isn't easy. Is there, you know, two or three key points you could give us that um, somebody looking to get into the hemp industry? Well, number one, know, know the space you're in. 
I, I would think would be the first and foremost. And we're, we're, we've talked, touched a little bit on that, talked a little bit about that and that, uh, depending on what part of the country you're in, right. May, mm-hmm. may dictate to you what your potential, uh, market is, uh, as a hemp uh, farmer or grower. Um, you know, say it's in the, the Midwest or upper Midwest, right? We're thinking of places like Kansas and Nebraska and the Dakotas and all that, right? I mean, they produce a lot of grain. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a grain variety of hemp that you're going to grow. But I think those are things that we have to, obviously, there's a lot of, still a lot of work to do in determining what grows best in what geographic location of the country. Mm-hmm. Because what what's going to grow best in Kentucky, where I'm at, it's not going to grow the best in even in Mississippi or Louisiana and definitely not in uh, the Dakotas or the upper Midwest, right? I mean, it's going to be a far different uh, kind of scenario as to what those are. And so for a farmer, I think the first thing that you have to do is first, what what is going to grow best in your uh, environment, Right. Right. Uh, and then, and then from there, I think you need to have a very clear eyed. Um, don't get swept up in this idea that I have ten acres and I'm going to be a millionaire. <laughs> so you have to be a very realistic farmer, and and I say that because I I refer back to some of these CBD companies that were making these wild wild promises of things, and um, to farmers uh, with with small amounts of land. Um, and I think you have to be very clear eyed. You have to be very focused on business and be, you know, on the back to the cooperative. I mean, these are some things that we, where our members are going to, you know, are going to, and are providing them as consultation on this, right? We have experts that we're, we're working with, uh, to provide them expertise, uh, and the latest knowledge, um, for our members. Uh, so, you know, number one, determine your market based on your geography and what, what is the potential there. Number two, have a clear business strategy so you don't get yourself, you know, as in any business mm-hmm. in a situation where you're, you're, you're putting your, your farm at risk or your capital at risk. And three, have a, have a contract, have a, a certain contract and vet those people vet them out right right? know know that they're not going to disappear on you you know six months right they come in the spring and they you sign a contract and obviously it's been established that even with written contracts that there's there's people that are going to walk so i would say know your market know your geography and what will grow there have a sound strategy as to how you build that out how you want to grow and what you will grow Right, but have a have a very certain evaluation of the of the individual or the company that you're dealing with, um, and being a member of a cooperative, I think being strength in numbers, I think helps in all three of those uh, things. And I think then you you take baby steps, and I think then you become successful. And yeah. I and I'm seeing that in in Kentucky and elsewhere. We've had some rough times, but we're seeing success. We have a, a couple of companies here that are making like flooring and mm-hmm. some other non-CBD extract variety kind of products. 
and they're being, and I think they're being successful with it yeah. uh, because they're they're growing small, and they've done the diligence, the due diligence uh, to get where they're at right now. And I think that's you have to treat it as a business, you know. Well, and I think you uh, we, you you mentioned this earlier, which is so important, is that. <laughs> People need to get into this for long-term growth. It's not a quick money-making scheme like the CBD industry had shown it could have been at one point in time. But, you know, this is this is long-term, you know, for the families so that they can put their kids through college and all of the things that you talked about that successful farmers used to do. Yes. It's, I it's mean, I think that's important. it. I think that's it. It's important that slow and steady as the, yeah. as the, as Aesop said in the fable, right? The tortoise and the hare. Yep. Slow and, <laughs> slow and steady wins the race. Yep. The yep. tortoise, the tortoise wins every time that you read the fable, right? The tortoise wins the race mm-hmm. because he's slow and steady and maintains focus. Right. And so, uh, it's not a mad dash to a quick buck. That's not going to happen. You need to be very realistic need to be very conservative in your focus and think long term mm-hmm. and you'll be success and I think you'll be successful yeah uh, in this uh, that's that's the takeaway yep well, thank you yeah. for that yeah that's totally awesome so let me uh, let me ask you one final question Roger and what is your vision for hemp in the future uh I think we we have to broaden our perspective. I think from the CBD, from what I see, I think the price of that is going to continue to decline Mm -hmm. as more people enter that space, as there's more production. Obviously, the supply is going to drive that uh, down. And I think it has to be driven down uh, for it to obviously be incorporated into a broader, you know, set of products in the food and the cosmetics and the supplements and all those things right that that price of that product has to decrease say for the big you know the big companies you know the big the big mass producers of product it can't be an expensive input for them right there has to be that balance of of profit for the grower and the processor uh, but for the end user so that that i see as a as a declining leveling off which means that you know Where's the opportunities? And I see the opportunities in the uh, use of the product for energy. Again, I think that is a long-term stable play. And for automotive composites, I think there's a great potential for that. Uh, I think there's a potential in the uh, the high-end chemical streams, you know, things mm-hmm. uh like uh, and even in things like graphene and and those types of high value products, uh, energy would be that high value. Uh, automotive composites, I think, are a very, uh, a very possible uh, sector uh, for growth. And I think uh, plastics, uh, composite materials, all all those things, I think, are very are very very realistic. And yep. not not only and not too far off. I think you're seeing the growth of that right now. And I think on the high end, I think in the boutique kind of chemical streams, biochemicals, and and, and applications of how that could be applied, say with with graphene or some other uh, products uh, that uh, hemp could be 
a very versatile uh, crop that could develop in all of those, you know, and I think even in the medical and the pharmaceutical, biopharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. I think there's potential, right, in, in actual medicines. I'm not talking about holistic type, you know, things that we're seeing right now. I'm talking about an actual pharmaceutical uh, grade products derived from hemp. I think there's some potential for that. We just said we don't know what those are yet, mm-hmm. right? Of course. Anecdotally, anecdotally, we can say, well, it's great to treat cancer, to treat seizure disorders, but where is the scientific research and knowledge that really has focused in on, well, why is that? Mm-hmm. Why, why is that? Yeah. You know, but I think there's some things going on, you know, that I'm aware of and, and different, different aspects of that that show uh, that, that potential, uh, you know, is there. And I think that's where the focus ought to be for farmers is how we get our crop into those spaces. Yep. Well, that's really exciting. It's year 2021 and hemp is just so exciting for the future. Roger, can you share with us where people can find you? Yes, we have uh, a couple of ways. Uh, If you're wanting more information about the cooperative, uh, I would direct you to nationalhempcoop.us. That is the cooperative's uh, website. Uh, we have, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, um, and, uh, uh, you know, just search for National Hemp Co-op on there, uh, and it'll take you right to our website. Uh, we we are having a series of webinars starting tomorrow um, uh, that, that are open to members and, and some general uh, uh, companies you know and individuals can participate in those you you can find that on our on our national hemp co-op website again that's national hemp co-op.us not dot com Mm -hmm. dot us uh and and so if you want to get in contact with us about joining and what that might look like like i said we have max and uh, he can reach out to you and we'll reach out to you in a very short amount of time and get that information and answer any questions you have about membership. Uh, but that, that would be the one for the farmer I would direct. But if they're interested in the work we're doing as a company on the, um, on the energy side uh, and industrial side and uses of hemp, they can find Eureka Energy at eureka-energy.com. And there's a contact form on there, and we can, we can respond back to you on that. And again, that Eureka is E-U-R-E-K-A hyphen energy dot com. And somebody will will obviously follow up with that as well uh, if, if they want more information about what we're doing. Awesome. Well, a huge shout out to Roger for joining us today, taking time to share his passion, not just for the biofuels, but for the farmers themselves. We appreciate it. We appreciate our listeners tuning in to the Hemp Empowerment Project, where our goal is to share the amazing opportunities within the hemp industry and how it can benefit your life. Please subscribe to this podcast so you're always in the know. 